0: With a mighty hand, God split the Red Sea, right? And the people of Israel walked through this massive body of water on dry ground, walls of water on either side. They saw the deliverance of God. Well, before that great miracle of deliverance happened, the Lord worked a a series of mighty acts of judgment Called what? Anybody know? There were 10 of them. What were they called? Yeah, there you go. The plagues. That's right. So God worked 10 plagues. um, Building up to that final big moment that we talked about last week, the deliverance of the people through the Red Sea. Moses all along the way for every plague went to Pharaoh and called for the Hebrew people to be released. He said to Pharaoh, let my people go right and the Pharaoh hardened his heart and then God sent judgment. The Pharaoh even, not only did he harden his heart, he even made their workload, the Hebrews workload heavier. He was making them make bricks, but without straw and all those kinds of things. So God is displaying his might through these plagues. The, the first plague was turning the Nile River into blood. The Nile River was worshipped by the Egyptians. It was something they looked to for life. You know, they trusted that this water, it, it, it brings us life. And so God took what they were looking to for life and he painted it with death. And every plague after that, from frogs to flies and hail and boils on the skin, livestock dying and to darkness and others... Every plague after that was a plague of judgment. God was judging sin and he was judging false gods. Exodus 12, 12, the Lord says, I am the Lord. He was making that declaration with every plague. Now, the the very last plague, the 10th plague of all 10 of them, the 10th one, Was the death of the firstborn. Death of the firstborn. The Lord said that the the death angel would come passing through Egypt and uh, the firstborn in every home, babies, children, even grown adults, every firstborn would die. This plague is incredibly severe, right? It's not just a nuisance like a bunch of frogs or way too many flies or gnats or lice or It's not just a nuisance. This is incredibly severe, painful. It's death. And here we see that God judges the sin of the people. God judges the sin of the people. Because this judgment was against sin, it wasn't just a judgment on Egypt. It was on Egypt and Israel. Israel, they were sinners as well. The people of Israel had gotten accustomed to the false gods and idols in Egypt Um, The rest of the scriptures tells us that. In Ezekiel, the Lord says, you need to put away the gods that you discovered in Egypt. So this plague is against Egypt and Israel because all people are sinners. Would you say amen to that? That's right. Every one of us fits into this category. All of us are sinners. And so God is warning of judgment. He's saying that every home Judgment is coming. Specifically, death is coming. Now, Moses was also told about the Lord's provision to save. I hope you see here again, we're just in the book of Exodus, but we've seen this quite a bit building up to this point. God issues judgment and then provides mercy. And those two go hand in hand. They run tandem together all throughout, right? The Lord Lord judged the, the earth with the flood but he provided an ark, his mercy, right? And we could keep going back and forth through those stories. And that's what we've seen all along the way is God's judgment in tandem with his mercy. God is just and he must judge sin. He can't just sweep our sin under the rug. But God is merciful to sinners also. In that he has made a way of salvation. He has made a way of salvation. and In the book of Exodus in particular, what we see here is the prescription to save people from death is what? A lamb. God tells them to take a lamb, like a little baby sheep, into their homes. And on the day of judgment, if they've put the blood of that lamb on the doorposts of their home, then on the day of judgment... The death angel will pass over. And this is where we get our word for Passover. We're going to observe what many of you may call the Passover meal or Passover supper. We call it Lord's Supper, communion. Some of you may call it Eucharist. Doesn't matter. But this is where it comes from. God tells them to take a lamb, a lamb. And if they take the blood of that lamb, he will pass over. So this lamb is called the Passover lamb. Now, let me ask you, I've just given you the answer, so I need you to shout it out real loud, right? What kind of animal does God choose to bring salvation? Okay, good. A lamb. Is there a gentler creature than a lamb? Think about it. It has no claws, no fangs, can't run can't fight there's nothing this lamb can do other than just you know bad right (laughs) i couldn't resist it right there's nothing this lamb can do other than that that's all i can do and this is the creature god has chosen to save his people to deliver his people from death and judgment is a lamb Now think about the contrast, if you will. Have you considered for just a minute, what is the creature that represents all of Egypt? Anybody know? What's on the head of Pharaoh's cap right here? What is it? A snake. The head of a serpent. Or what about the end of his staff? At the top of his staff, there's a big, what? A a cobra type serpent. I think it's a cobra, but... You know, the Egyptians, they pride themselves on taming these serpents. They work with serpents. The representative animal of the Egyptians is the serpent. Now, have you thought about what Passover is all about? A serpent is this creature that has venomous fangs. It's violent. It's aggressive. It's, it is ready to attack, poised to attack at a moment's notice. Strong, agile, speed it's fast all of those things that would make it a great warrior what is passover about i'll tell you the lamb is going to absolutely decimate the serpent and here we're reminded of genesis 3:15 the promise that god made when he cursed the serpent he said there's a man coming that You may bruise his heel, but he will crush your head. And the story of Passover is the story of the lamb's victorious conquering over the serpent. So this little lamb is the Passover lamb. Remember what I told you last week, the word Exodus? Anybody remember what the word Exodus means? It means the way out. And what we see here is that the Passover lamb is the way out. Why don't you stand to your feet? Let's read Exodus chapter 12, the first 13 verses together. Exodus 12. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. You shall keep it until the 14th day of this month when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat. They shall eat the flesh that night roasted on the fire with unleavened bread. It is the Lord's Passover, for I will pass through the land of Egypt that night and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And on all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. Let's pray. Lord God, you are mighty and just, powerful and merciful. And We praise you today for salvation through the blood of the Lamb. In Jesus, we are shielded from the judgment, the wrath of God. We celebrate you today, Lord Jesus, that you willingly yielded up your life as a lamb led to the slaughter. And we ask, God, that if there be anybody here listening today that that would hear this news, that, God, you would open their hearts to hear and believe the good news of Jesus today. Lord, would you show us Christ through your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Could be seated. Well, in this series of messages, what we are learning is to see Christ on every page of Scripture. We're working from shadows to substance. We're working from um, Old Testament into New Testament. What we know that is that what is concealed in the Old Testament is revealed in the New Testament. So as we read Exodus 12, we're taking the light of the gospel of the New Testament and laying that light on top of the Old Testament scripture. Um, in the New Testament, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 1 in particular, uses that idea of a shadow. It says, The sacrifices of old... Were but a shadow and Christ is the substance. So I want to take that concept today. And what I want to do is talk about the shadow of salvation that we see here in the Passover land, the shadow from Exodus 12. And then I want us to look at the New Testament substance that Christ is our Passover lamb. And just a little bit of backstory. Exodus 12 um, It's bringing in a new day. Did you notice that? Like at the beginning of this chapter, God says, this is the beginning of months for you. Like you're starting a brand new calendar today. Um, No matter how you were tracking time before, uh, it starts over today. Today is January 1, essentially. Of course, it's Hebrew, right? But today is a brand new year for you. It's been 400 years they've been enslaved in Egypt in a foreign land. And God's about to redeem his people. And so the Lord is saying to them, essentially, I'm breaking into your calendar. I'm interrupting the way you track time. This thing I'm about to do is so important that it's going to affect the way you think about days and weeks and months. Everything's going to be revolving around and beginning from this point forward. It's pretty massive, right? So God is saying, what I'm about to do is so big, it's going to change the way you track time. Well, let's dig in, if you will, into the shadow of salvation, the shadow of salvation. I want to talk quickly about just four truths about this Passover lamb. What are some things we pull out of these scriptures that tell us about this Passover lamb? And the first one is this. It had to be a spotless lamb, a spotless lamb. Exodus 12, verse five says, your lamb shall be without blemish. Without blemish, That's going to be a phrase that's used a lot in the New Testament. But the lamb that was selected on the 10th day of the month, that lamb was brought into their homes. And for the next few days, the family would, would hold this lamb. They would look at this lamb. They'd pet it. They'd cuddle it. Maybe they'd name it. I don't know. But one thing I know is that they're inspecting the lamb. They're looking over its... Wool. They're checking its mouth, its face, its ears. They're looking at the hooves. They're checking it all. They're checking it for no marks, no scars, no bruises, no spots, no blemishes. This lamb had to be perfect. It had to stand out from the rest of the lambs. It had to be special. Couldn't be just any run-of-the-mill lamb. It had to be spotless. So there's meticulous attention to detail here. This lamb had to be a male, one year old. And you think, what's the significance of the one year mark? Well, at the one year mark for a lamb, it's in the prime of its life. It's ready to reproduce. It's ready for work. It's out of its childhood phase and it's ready to get going. That's the, the one year mark. And the Lord is saying this lamb must be. In the prime of its life, the best looking lamb you've got. It needs to be spotless. Secondly, it's a shared lamb. Did you notice Exodus 12 4 says that if your family's too small, then you and your neighbor come together and share a lamb? This lamb was bringing people together, not just family to family, neighbors together, but it's bringing a people together. God is making a distinction between the people of Egypt and the people of Israel. Moses came into Egypt where the Hebrew camps were, and he went house to house, calling on the people, the children of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. And he says to them, God's told you that he's going to come into the city and every firstborn is going to die. Unless you listen to what I have to say now, you must take a lamb and he starts down the list. This lamb would be God's mercy for them. So smaller families come together to share a lamb. But not only that, the people of Israel are all coming under this same idea, the same concept of God's judgment and his provision of mercy. So think about it for a moment. They had to roast this lamb at the same time on the day of judgment, 3 p.m. about twilight is what the Bible says. They would have to um, slit the throat of this animal, catch the blood in a basin, and then roast it over fire. Now, there are at this point about two million Jews, a little over two million Jews in Egypt. Every home is roasting lamb. Have you ever been in the neighborhood when three or four families are grilling out? You know that smell, right? You can smell it. And it's like, hey, it's time for dinner. Um, can you imagine Egypt? A quarter of a million homes are roasting lamb at the same time. There's this scent that has filled the place. Pharaoh's smelling it. All the other Egyptians are smelling it. And they're all thinking, so the Hebrew people, why, why are they roasting? What are they cook? It smells like lamb. And all the Hebrews, all of them are doing the exact same thing at the exact same time. What's the point of this? Well, it's a shared experience. God is distinguishing his people from the Egyptians. We didn't read this, but in chapter 11, verse 17, he specifically says that. Chapter 11, verse 7. I'm sorry. It says, The Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. Now, when they came into the city, there were only 70 of them. When they came into Egypt, there were only 70. Jacob, his sons, their wives, and, and a few children, their flocks and herds. But that was it, 70 people. 400 years later, there's over 2 million of them. And they're coming together under a shared experience. To roast a lamb for salvation. So it was a shared lamb. Thirdly, a sacrificial lamb. So uh, Exodus 12, 6 says the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. There's no way around this. This is the prescription of salvation, right? It's so strange. God chooses this little lamb and then he says, now this lamb, it's going to save you. And here's how. Kill it. It almost doesn't even make sense, Right. What is a sacrifice? What is a sacrifice? Well, we'd have to say two things, at least two things qualify something, specifically this lamb to be a sacrifice. First, the lamb had to be slain. It has to be killed, right? The Bible says the wages of sin is death. The only way to atone for sin is through the taking of innocent life. So many people think um, about Jesus, they think Jesus is a great guy. They love to learn lessons from his life. But listen, um, I love what Adrian Rogers said about this. He said, salvation is not learning lessons from the life of Christ. Salvation is receiving life from the death of Christ. A sacrifice has to be killed. And unless the lamb dies, there's no hope for anyone. So the prescription that Moses gives to the people is that at, at twilight, which is about three in the afternoon. On the 14th of what is April, our month, the father of the home would take this lamb that they've now had in their home for days. And he would take this lamb and he would kill it. And here we have a core truth that the whole Bible reiterates. Hebrews 9, says it this way. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. Without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. Do you remember in the Garden of Eden when sin first came on the scene? Adam and Eve covered themselves with leaves, but God covered them with what? Animal skins. From the very first sin, blood and death was God's remedy to cover our shame and our sin. It always has been. And here we're getting more specific now. We're seeing that it's not just any death. It's the death of of a spotless lamb. Must be sacrificed. So death is necessary for a lamb. And then secondly, for, for a sacrifice, it must be a substitute. The lamb was a substitute. Do you see that exchange that's happening? Every home is getting a sense of exchange. Every home. Can you imagine like the firstborn in your house coming to you and saying, Dad, uh, I heard what Moses said, like. Tonight, uh, the firstborn in the house is going to die. Well, that's that's me. Are you sure we got the right lamb? Can, Can I look over the lamb, too? Can I take a look at it? Did you miss something? All right. Have you followed all his instructions? Because if you mess this up, it's on me. So right here in this image, we're actually getting the picture of a sacrifice is a substitute. This child, this person, this firstborn will die if this lamb sacrifice doesn't go as God has decreed. The death of the lamb must be in the place of another. In every household, that lamb was a representative death. It was dying in place of a person. The lamb's death was a substitute. And here's the truth. The lamb dies so you can live, right? So fourthly, it's a shared lamb, sacrificial lamb. Fourth, a saving lamb. This is the whole point, isn't it? A shadow of salvation. Exodus 12, 7 says this. um, Verse 7 in particular says... They shall take some of the blood and put it on the doorposts, right, and on the lintel of the houses. So if you could imagine the door of a house, blood is being taken. They take hyssop, they dip it in the basin, and then they just sort of smatter it on the, on the doorposts, on the top and on the sides of the doorposts. Now, everyone that is to come into that house that night, they have to go where? How? Through the, Through the blood, Right. To get in the house, you have to go through the blood. The only way into safety from judgment was to go through the blood of the Lamb. And then when we flip over a little bit, we didn't read this, but in verse 22, listen to the instructions here. I want you to take a bunch of hyssop, dip it in the blood that's in the basin, touch the lintel and the two doorposts and the blood that's in the basement basin. None of you shall go out of the door of this house. Until the morning. So after the lamb has been slain, the blood has been spilt, the blood is applied. I can just imagine the father saying, "Okay, children, this is what the Lord has told us to do. We take the lamb now, we go inside, we roast the lamb and we trust in God. We don't leave the house. They stayed there until morning. So. Get the picture here. What what a word for us. Listen, the lamb saves by the blood, through the blood and under the blood. I want you to think about something also. This is a visible sign on the outside of all these homes. It's a visible sign that someone has both heard the warning of God for judgment and Believed in the promise of God for salvation. It's a visible sign. We've painted our doors red with blood. We're sending up smoke in the sky with the roast of a lamb. We have heard the warning. We've trusted in the promise of God. Everybody knows it. The Lord himself in chapter 12 verse 13 says, When I see the blood, I will pass over you. The Passover lamb is a saving lamb. All right. So now as we move to the New Testament, we move from shadow to substance. I want you to think about a few parallels here. This is really powerful. There's so much here that we're only going to skim the surface. But I I do want to skim the surface in a way that hopefully will encourage you and whet your appetite to do a little digging on your own. How many years were the people enslaved in Egypt? 400 years. Do you know that between Malachi, the last of the minor prophets in Old Testament, and Matthew, the first gospel of the New Testament, the stories that are recorded in Matthew, how many years passed between Malachi's writing and the account that Matthew records? How many years? Yeah. 400 years of silence from God. No one, no prophet during that time said, Thus says the Lord with a word from God. No one. God was quiet for 400 years. But then God interrupted the calendar again. He gave us a fresh start again. He started days over again. The the timing, the, the, the keeping track of the calendar came to a dead halt and restarted, didn't it? a baby was born in Bethlehem. Why Bethlehem? Mary and Joseph were living in Nazareth, had to make the the long, dangerous trek all the way south of Jerusalem, five miles south of Jerusalem to Bethlehem. Why Bethlehem? Bethlehem is a shepherd's town. Bethlehem is the town where they raise lambs. Specifically, they raised the Passover lambs to be sacrificed in Jerusalem on Passover. Bethlehem is the city where Jesus was born. He was born and laid into a manger, he was wrapped in swaddling cloths. You know, that's how they wrap what will be a Passover lamb to keep him from kicking and bruising himself. There's so many parallels, it's hard to even name them. But after 400 years of silence, the Lord announced the birth of his son to shepherds. Hmm. This boy would be the ultimate Passover lamb. Once again, as we said, God's interrupting the calendar. We track it this way, you know, to this... This day is a, is a day in the year 2022. Well, that's because it's 2022 years from this event. We started over when Jesus came on the scene. And the point is, he is the Christ, our Passover lamb. The New Testament specifically says that. First Corinthians 5 verse 7 It says, in particular, if you have your Bibles, I want you to look at this or you can look at the screen. It says, cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you really are unleavened. For Christ, say these words, our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. The New Testament makes the same connection we're making. We're not making this up. The writers in the New Testament are saying the exact same thing not long after Jesus was Killed. They're saying, oh, I know what happened. He is the Passover lamb. All the things the Passover was all about, all of that was fulfilled in Christ. And here we see it. Look at it with me now. The substance of salvation. Jesus is the spotless lamb. First Peter 1:18 and 19. Listen to what Peter says. He says, you were ransomed. From the futile ways inherited from your forefathers. Not with perishable things such as silver or gold. Listen to what it says. But the precious blood of Christ. Like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. The precious blood of Christ. Like a lamb without blemish or spot. Have you ever connected the dots of Jesus's Triumphal entry into Jerusalem on what we call Palm Sunday. Well did you know that's the beginning of Passover week? The the feast of unleavened bread is Passover week. And that feast begins on Palm Sunday. I want you to connect the dots for a moment at the very same time that Jesus is riding in on a donkey and they're waving palm branches and the people are shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, the Lord, the Lord has come, the Lord's. They're shouting that as Jesus comes in. Guess what's happening at the same time across town? The priests are coming in through the sheep gate with the Passover lambs. And they're coming in to bring them to the Temple Mount. To be inspected for the next four days. It's the 10th day of Nisan, their calendar. They have four days to inspect the sheep, the, the, the lamb, and make sure that this lamb is all of the qualifications that God has prescribed. Now, what happened to Jesus for the next four days? Well, he was inspected, he was evaluated for four days. The priests evaluated him. Who gives you the authority to do this? Right? The Sadducees evaluated him. The Pharisees evaluated him. Ultimately, the courts cross-examined him. Are you the king of the Jews? Pilate interrogated him. Herod provokes him. The people condemn him. Jesus declared innocent. Get it? Declared spotless. Four times and then put to death. The Bible says that he is sinless. When we talk about spotless, it's not the wool or the teeth or the hooves or the ears. Or That's not what we're talking about. We're, we're seeing now it's not just physical appearance. It's the spiritual, the heart. Jesus was able to look at his worst enemies and say, do you have anything of which you can accuse me? I don't know about you, but I don't think I could say that to my best friends. But Jesus' own enemies had nothing to accuse him with other than lies. And to say that he says he's God. Well, that's blasphemy. That was their only accusation. The Bible says he was sinless. Let me give you three ways it says that. It says he knew no sin. Second Corinthians 521. He knew no sin. The Bible says he did no sin. First Peter 2.22. And that in him was no sin. First John 3.5. Jesus is spotless. So let me tell you, here's some good news. You ready for good news? This is the gospel. In salvation, it is the lamb that is evaluated. It is the lamb that must be spotless. Not you. The lamb is inspected. And as long as the lamb is spotless, the blood is good. And if the blood is good, you are saved. Listen, the good news is he is examined and you are cleared. This is the good news of the gospel. Jesus is the spotless lamb. Secondly, Jesus is the shared lamb. Luke 22, right before he is um, arrested, Jesus pulls his disciples together for a Passover meal. This is not the first time they've done this, but Jesus pulls them together for their Passover meal. And what we see here is that a new family is being formed. The old Passover for 1400 years. From when Passover began, they were doing a memorial service every year at Passover where the family would gather together. You can keep reading in Exodus 12. One thing I was really impressed by through the scriptures is the idea of passing these truths on from one generation to the next. There's such an emphasis. And uh, that's the big reason why I decided I wanted to bring the kids in at the end is to to. Just honor that truth in the text that we want to pass the truth about Christ as our lamb on to our kids. But Jesus here is, is forming a new family. People who have nothing in common, right? Look around. People who have nearly nothing in common come together because of this lamb. First Peter 2 verse 10 says, once you were not a people, but now you're God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. That all comes to us through the blood of the lamb. So it's a shared lamb. I told you that on the on the night he was betrayed, he gathered his people together. And instead of families, these disciples come together together they're going to celebrate the climax of the Feast of Unleavened Bread with the Passover Seder. We could get into a lot of detail here, but I'll spare you. The lamb is roasted whole. There's no broken bones. There's a lot we could take for this, but we'll just say that Christ also, there was no broken bones. Really unusual for a man to be crucified with no broken bones. They would normally break the knees of a man crucified just so that he would suffocate. And it was their way of having mercy. But Christ was already dead when they came to do that. So they just pierce his side and the, the spear pierces into his heart and the pericardial sac ruptures. And there's just water and blood that flows out which lets them know he's already dead. They don't have to break his bones. So he is whole. The Passover lamb was meant to be whole with no broken bones. It was eaten with bitter herbs representing their bondage in slavery and their um, the bitterness of their sin and their repentance over it. Then the head of the table would take this 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 bag It's called a mock and it's the. There's a lot we could say here, but this this bag is divided in three sections and it's got the the unleavened bread The lobes are are in there. And he would pull from the middle section and he would pull out this unleavened bread, which had been uh, striped from the way it was prepared and it was punctured. They didn't want it to, to to swell at all, to rise at all. So they had punctured. Now, think about that. The unleavened bread striped and punctured. Mm-hmm. Same as Christ, right? By his stripes and then the puncturing beside none of this is on accident. Right. And Jesus takes this bread. He breaks it with his disciples and he says, this is what? My body. My body. Now, this is all brand new. And right as they begin this dinner, Jesus says to his disciples, man, I have, I have longed to have this Passover meal with you. Because up to this point, we've broken the bread and we've been looking back. Thankful to God for, our, uh, for liberating us from Egypt. Thankful to God for the Passover lamb who protected us from the death angel. Our firstborns lived. We were saved by the Passover lamb. We were delivered because of the Passover lamb. We look back on Egypt and we break the bread in thanksgiving and gratitude. But not today. Today, this is my body. Jesus. No more do you need to look back to Egypt. In a few days, you're going to look to the cross. And all that the lamb in Egypt did for you, I'm doing more. That lamb was a shadow. I am the substance. It was unleavened bread. Because in Egypt, they had to leave with such haste. Do you remember how they were to eat the meal in their homes? How were they to eat it? With their shoes on their feet, with their belt on, with their staff in hand. The Lord would say, you need to be ready to go. With this lamb, with this blood, I'm fixing to set you free. Yeah. So it was unleavened bread because they ate so quickly. It was also unleavened bread because it represented purity. Leaven represents sin and The Lord is saying, I'm saving you by the purity of the blood of a pure and spotless, holy lamb. And I'm calling you to live as pure and spotless, holy people. There's so much we could talk about here, but Jesus is bringing together a new family, a new nation. He shared this meal with them. Thirdly, Jesus is the sacrificial lamb. Remember, sacrifice means at least two things. It means death and substitute. Jesus died. He went all the way to death, even death on a cross. He didn't die because he deserved it. No, he's the innocent, sinless, spotless lamb. He died as a substitute. He died in your place and mine. Remember where we were first introduced to the idea of a lamb as a substitute? Do you remember? Abraham and Isaac. Going up Mount Moriah, Isaac's got the wood on his back, the the rope in his hand. Abraham's carrying the knife and the fire and they're walking up the mountain and Isaac looks to his father and he's like, well, dad, you know, we've got the, the wood, the rope, the knife, fire. Everything's here. Where is the land? And the Lord provided for the sacrifice. Isaac was spared. Great substitute. Isaac was spared, and Abraham renamed that mountain, "The Lord will provide." And we read in Genesis 22 that the people of God would walk by that mountain, and they would point, and they would say, "It's on that mountain, the Lord will provide. One day on that mountain, the Lord will provide." Amen. And there came a day where Jesus carried his cross up that very same mountain. Mount Moriah of old is Mount Calvary in the new. And on the very same mountain where the people said the Lord will provide on the day of his death, the Lord said, I have provided. And Jesus says it is finished, right? So Jesus is the sacrifice. His blood has been shed. The promises of God in the old find their yes and amen in Christ in the new. He's the sacrificial lamb. And lastly, he is the saving lamb. Saving lamb. Wendell, would you mind going to tell Sherry we're ready for them? Listen, church, there's no other way to be saved, right? When when the Lord said, you take the blood of the lamb. It wasn't up to the father then to go, you know what? I mean, we've, we've really grown to like this lamb. Let's just tie it up outside. Or... You know what, rather than blood, because that's kind of gruesome, let's just get some ketchup and put it on the on the doorpost. Or rather than a lamb, who wants to kill a lamb? Let's kill that, you know, cat. <laughs> Sorry if you're a cat lover, <laughs> um, not a cat lover. can't. Um, no, there's no other way of salvation. It had to be the lamb. And in the same way, there is no other hope for any of us other than the blood of the Lamb, Jesus Christ. He said, he said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me, right? So they took hyssop and put the blood on the doorpost. When God saw the blood, he passed over. Listen, salvation only comes by the blood of the Lamb. Salvation is not, is not the reward for a good person. Y'all hearing what I'm saying? Listen, salvation is not the reward of a good person. It's God's mercy to sinful people. There's not a man so good that he doesn't need to be saved. And there's not a man so bad that he cannot be saved. Only the blood of Jesus saves And at 3 p.m. that day at twilight, at twilight, 3 p.m., Jesus is on the cross. Meanwhile, listen, meanwhile, across town, they've taken the lambs that they've been inspecting. And the exact same time they're spilling the blood of the lamb, Jesus is pouring out his life on the cross. Jesus died at Passover he chose to die in that time and in that way on purpose. It was to fulfill a prophetic reality. So the saving power of God in Exodus 12. I think we're settled now. Hey, kiddos. Good to have you guys in here with us. Hey, babe. All right, my man. Um, in the book of Exodus, God shielded people Right? They were shielded. The word of the Lord says, Lord, you are a shield for me. So the judgment of God would pass over someone's home when the blood of the lamb would shield them from judgment. This is the mercy of God. And it only comes to us by way of the blood. But listen, it only, mercy only comes to the house where the blood is applied. Me and my family, we we think this whole thing is a good idea, right? But we look to the next door house and we're like, oh, well, they've killed the lamb. The the blood is there. So I think, you know, this thing will probably pass over both of us. Salvation only comes where the blood is applied. Now, listen, in the Old Testament, they took the blood. They took a little branch. Are y'all listening, guys? They took a little bowl of blood. It's gross. I get it, but it's the way God chose to do this. And they would take a little branch and they would take that branch and they put it on the door of their house like a paintbrush on the sides and across the top. And that night, the Lord came through. A death angel came through. And any house where there wasn't blood, the first would die. Anybody the first morning in your family? Anybody yet, Riley? <laughs> Thank you, Gracie. Anybody the first one? You're the oldest of your brothers and sisters. You're the oldest. You're the oldest? Okay, okay. Well, listen, here's where we get bad news, right? Listen, in your house, in this day, if they didn't, if they didn't put the blood on the door, you were in trouble. The judgment of God was going to come. And it was judgment because there's sin. Are any of you guys sinners? Have any of you sinned? Nobody? <laughs> okay. well, you can raise your hand now because you just sinned. Raise okay. So listen, there's sin in all of us. What is sin? Does anybody know what sin is? What is it? It might telling totally lies. Okay, that's a good example of this sin. You know what too? It's when you do something bad. That's right. So sin is anything against God. When we sin... We've sinned against God. Now guess what, guys? The Lord has said that as sinners, we will be judged for our sins. Did you know that? Yeah. He says that He will judge us for our sin. Do you know what the, what the punishment for sin is ultimately? It's death. That's what the Bible teaches, that the wages of sin is death. Now that's scary, right? But now listen. God has made a way... For us to be saved. And he he painted a picture of that for us in the Old Testament in Exodus with the blood of the Lamb. And we learn about that every house where the blood is painted, the people in that house are saved from the judgment of God. Now in the same way in the New Testament, this is the reason why we love Jesus so much. Because Jesus, what did Jesus do for us? Do you know? What did he do? Yes, he loves us. How did he show us his love? He Okay, and how does he save us? What did he, he do? By okay, he did he make us. The there you go, Gracie. Ultimately, Jesus died for you. Did you know that? Yes. How did he die? You know? I know. the Yeah, they put him on the cross. Well, listen. He died in your place. The idea that we're learning from the Bible, we adults are learning today, is that Jesus is our substitute. And he died as a sacrifice, okay? But he died as a substitute in my place and in yours. And he died for us so that God's judgment would pass over you. Now listen, today our church is going to take communion together. Do you know what this is? Yeah, what kind of bread? Yeah, it's unleavened bread. It just means it doesn't have bad stuff in it, okay? I don't know how else to say that. Alright, right. um, So it's unleavened bread, and this bread, we're gonna eat it today because it represents Jesus' body. His body was broken for us, and that's how he died. He died and, and he His body is broken for us. And what what do you think this cup of juice represents? It represents His blood. It's not real blood. No, No, we're not that kind of church, actually. So, this represents the body and blood of Jesus. And you guys, listen, this is really important. So, as a Christian, as a believer in Jesus, we try to do this pretty often, where we take, we take this, and we eat it, and we take this cup, and we drink it together, and it's because this is what makes us a family. It's the body and blood of Jesus that makes us church. It makes us people who are going to live with God forever because it's because of His body and His blood that we are saved. God passes over us. His judgment passes over us, and His mercy comes to us because Jesus took all the judgment that we deserve. He died on the cross for us.